We are continuing on a series that we started two weeks ago on what should you do when your plans seem hindered. What should you do when your plans seem hindered? You know, oftentimes people think that if they do what God has told them to do, their plans will not be hindered and that Satan will not come against them. But the opposite is true. Satan will come against us when we try to fulfill God's will. We're using 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 6 as our main text. And it reads as follows, and I read the New King James Version Bible, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. But we, brethren, verse 17, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So Paul, as we know, is the author of this book to the Thessalonians or this letter to the Thessalonians. And he's expressing his frustration in that he wanted to visit the Thessalonians but in his words, he says, Satan hindered us. The context of this verse, and if you want to hear the whole background, Paul had left this place, Thessalonica, very abruptly. This was after a brief stay where they were doing the work of the gospel. It was him, it was Silas, and it was Timothy. But they had to leave abruptly because of problems that came up. And Paul was concerned because these young believers he had left in Thessalonica had not been rooted yet in their faith. So when he left, he was very concerned because these people were recent converts from paganism. And when he left, it was a time of great persecution when they were persecuted for their faith in Christ. So Paul, now that he couldn't be with them physically, he writes a letter to them. And the purpose of the letter is, first of all, to encourage these new converts in their trials. Secondly, he's trying to give them instruction concerning godly living. Also, he is telling them not to neglect daily work, and he also gives them an assurance concerning the future of believers who die before Christ returns. In Paul's writing, he explains to them that me and my companions, we wanted to stay in Thessalonica so that we work long, we work hard, and that the work that we have started can take root. 
But we had to leave because in Paul's words, Satan hindered us. And when he uses this expression, Satan hindered us, he's actually explaining this period of challenge. Because all of us, whatever vision, whatever mission God gives you, Satan will try to hinder you. Whatever you are, oh, am I, am I talking to people who are alive this morning? Whatever you are trying to do, Satan will try to hinder you. And Paul is expressing that Satan tried to hinder us and he uses this word hindered which has a twofold meaning. Number one, he is saying uh, Satan cut into us. It is the Greek word engopto, spelled E-G-K-O-P-T-O. He says Satan cut in. That word means to cut in. Figuratively, it means to impede. Satan impeded us. He hindered us. Satan became tedious to us. He's saying anytime we try to get breathing space, some of you remember weeks ago, some few weeks ago, I was leading the five o'clock morning prayer and there was a fly that was engoptering me. Do you remember that fly? I'm busy preaching and I'm busy leading the morning prayer and there's this fly flying around. What's wrong with it? And I had a good mind of killing it and I remember the Bible says thou shalt not kill. But you know, Paul is using that expression that Satan is right here. I try this, he's this side. I move on this way, he is blocking my way, he is engoptering me. And he's using this word to describe hindering forces that kept him from going to the Thessalonians. These forces are cutting into my path. So there's no doubt that Paul tried to go to the Thessalonians several times. It wasn't once, it wasn't twice, but it was more than that. But his journey was filled with danger and unexpected bumps and obstacles that Paul finally had to turn back, go around and rethink his strategy. Listen to this. When your vision has been impeded, don't give up on it. Just think about a new strategy. And Paul said, even though I have been engulfed, I'm not going to give up because being engulfed is part and parcel of our journey. Hindrances are part and parcel of us fulfilling God's will. But he uses another term in this word, engopto. That word also means it's used in an athletic sense to portray the moment when a runner who's running alongside another runner literally elbows them out of the race. Although the other runner was running a good race, he or she is shoved out of the way by the aggression of the fellow runner. As a result, this action makes them to be elbowed out of the way and they lose their leading edge. See, there are some times when Satan comes our way and he makes us lose our leading edge. You find that the dream that you had, you want to punk it aside. You want to leave it aside. You want to stop because you've had so many problems. You've encountered so many challenges until you feel like I'm not going to try anymore. Some of you, it could be this morning that you've forsaken some of your dreams. I mean, the way this year has started, there are some of you who feel like I'm not going to go on with that. But I'm here to tell you that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon your life. You here, those of you who are watching, and I'm praying to God that you will do what Paul says. Paul says, even if I can't be with you in the flesh, 
Even if I've been elbowed out of the way, even if there are roadblocks and bumps and stumbling blocks, instead of being with you in the flesh, I decided that I will be with you through a letter. I will always make a plan. So if I can't be with you in the flesh, if I can't be with you by meat, I will write a letter to you. So I am writing this letter to you to show you that whether the devil engulfs me or not, I'm going to go on with my vision. How many of you say, I'm going to go on with my vision no matter what? And so we learn that whatever vision we have from God, Satan will try to hinder us. And so we are answering that question. What should we do then? When our plans and our visions are hindered, or they seem hindered, there are seven things we suggested. We said, number one, put up a fire of faith. So I felt we're going to talk about all these points. I'm not going to rush. I'm going to take time for us to talk about this and thank God that our, our time on television has been extended as well. So we will take time to explore these. Number two, we said, remember that the weapons of your warfare, warfare are not carnal. That's number two. Number three, don't cast away your confidence. I'm going to talk about all that. Number four, keep your words under check. Don't just speak in jail when you have been ungoptoed. Number five, protect your soul from being weary and tired. Because a long journey can make you ufelweki moya. You lose your soul. You lose your, your, your patience. You get tired. Number six, hold on to your vision. That's what we're going to talk about today. Be led by your vision instead of being pushed by circumstances. And number seven, decide to be a finisher. Now, last week, we talked about fighting the good fight of faith. Today, I want to talk about holding on to your vision. Watch this, Barcelona. Many people don't realize that every vision that God gives you, Satan will do his best to hinder you in fulfilling your God-given vision. I thought you would say amen. amen. I thought little amen about him. Every vision that God gives you, Satan will do his best to hinder you. Understand that, Bazana. So don't, don't be surprised when Satan comes against you. That's his nature. That's just the way it works. Every vision that God gives, Satan will try to hinder you. And therefore, every vision goes through six phases. P-H-A-S-E-S, not F-A-C-E-S. Not phases, phases like phase one, phase two. So every vision, it may not go through all the six phases. Oh, I'm so glad to see this, the children there. Hi, guys. Hey, young people. Hello. How are you? Good to see you there in the corner. How did you get in here? You, you, you registered very early, eh? Uh, good for you, Sham. I'm so glad to see you. So every vision goes through six phases. We need to be aware of these phases and never allow our vision to be hindered. So let me give you the six phases quickly. We're going to talk about them. First phase is a dream. This is where a dream gets born. A vision gets born. God gives you a vision. It's a dream. That's the first phase. Most start a mountain, you get a vision. You know, like your New Year resolutions. I wonder the kokai. <laughs> <laughs> eh? I wonder where our, our New Year resolutions when, when we started in 2020 You remember? Baba, let's say 2020 Let's say 2020 
Anybody remembers? Anybody? Come on now, don't give me that look now. Don't give me that look. You remember you called it 20 plenty? You remember that? All those prophecies that you prophesied about 20 plenty. Yeah, you start with a dream. That's where you start. But then the, the second phase is a decision. Third phase is a delay. I want to talk about all that. Fourth phase, a difficulty. Phase number five, a dead end. And then, by the grace of God, phase number six, a deliverance. Now, I want us to be at phase one today. Now, I'm going to use a word and I don't think you know Messi before. As we look at each phase, we are going to juxtapose these phases <laughs> with certain Bible. Ah, man, come on, the word juxtapose only means to put side by side. It's, it's nothing. Simply means to draw a comparison. So for every phase, I'm going to get a Bible character and use them as a comparison. See, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we don't think people in Bible days go through, went through what we went through. You know, we kind of think Hormona, they had a special gift of being a Christian. Or they had a special anointing to see certain results. But the book of James says, hey, Elijah was a man of like passion like you. He used to get discouraged. There are times when he, he woke up on the wrong side of life. He was a man of like passion as you are, but then it rained. But he prayed that it shouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. And then it says, and he prayed again. And it did, it did rain. So it, what it's saying is this. When you see what these people did, you can do it too. Ah, uh, you're not saying amen there. You can do it too. They're not special characters. So I'm going to take these people and put them side by side with these principles just to show you how, what they did. All right? So let's talk about the dream. God gives you a dream which comes in the form of an idea, a goal, an ambition, a desire sometimes. Or God gives you a burden. I mean, this is the exciting stage of, of, of a vision. This is where vision is conceived. This is where vision comes into your heart. This is where spiritual conception happens. Remember this, Barcelona. Every great accomplishment first begins with a God-given dream in somebody's heart and somebody's mind. When God wants to do something, God doesn't call a committee. God puts a vision in somebody's heart. When God wants to change somebody's life, he shows you something better than where you are at that time. Like he did with Abraham. When he was sitting in discouragement, God takes him out of his tent and God said, lift up your eyes and look as far as your eyes can see. That's what I'll give you. That's when conception takes place. God talks to you in your secret space. God talks to you only one. God talks to you in your challenges surrounded by everything. And he births vision in your heart. Why? Because without vision, people perish. This is an exciting stage where you conceive vision. 
Because God works with vision. God works with what we think, what we hope, what we dream of. Ephesians chapter 20. In the living Bible, it reads, God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, our desires, our thoughts and our hopes. So God gives you a dream and you conceive a vision. That's the starting point. And when you've conceived vision, it doesn't mean everything is solved. You are still co-phase one. You are not there yet. You can conceive vision of a better life when you are sitting in squalor. Because vision is simply a picture of a preferable future. It's not where you are, it's where you are going. And if you can learn how to look after this conception, to look after this embryo, to look after this baby, to nurture this child until that child is born, because vision goes through stages. And so, just like the excitement when people become pregnant, this is the phase of conception. God supernaturally inseminates vision in our hearts and minds. And we conceive vision. Now, here's the problem. Our human tendency is to run with excitement and tell others that we are expectant. You just found out three weeks pregnant or six weeks pregnant. So blah, blah, everybody. You put it on Facebook. You tweet about it. You WhatsApp about it. Oh boy, it's a TikTok. <laughs> Look at Joseph, what he does. Genesis 37 verse 5. One night he had a dream. So he's in this dream, verse 7. He, he's in the field. He sees He's a bundle of grain. So Joseph has a dream. He tells his brothers about it. He says, listen to this dream. He said, we were out in the field, tearing up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. And all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before me. So his brothers in verse 8 say, so you think you will be our king? And they hated him. But Joseph doesn't learn. Verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he, he goes to his father and his brothers and says, listen, I had another dream. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they bowed before me. <laughs> this time he told the dream to his father and to his brothers. They said, what kind of dream is that? The father said, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? So note, while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered about the dream. Now let me rush because of time. So later on, the father of Joseph sends Joseph to go to his brothers, take food to them because they are looking after his flock in a place called Shechem. So Joseph walks a long way, finally locates where his brothers are. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Verse 19, here's what they said. They said, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into these cisterns and we can tell our father wild animals have eaten him. Then we will see what will become of his dreams. Let me show you something, Let me show you something. 
If you prematurely reveal what God has shown you in secret, you are giving your enemy a chance to engulf you. Joseph was just a few weeks pregnant with vision. Even before the pregnancy could establish itself. That's a weed. I was out there during the break. I had a conversation with one of our doctors who is a, a specialist and uh, the gynecologist. And I was very excited when I was saying this in the first place because I saw they were so excited. And then he came and talked to me and said, you know, Bishop, what you said is actually correct. I said what? He said, we advise couples that when they have fallen pregnant, they mustn't tell anybody until after three months. But for the first three months, they must zip it in his words. I said, why? He said, because between the first three months, a lot can happen. There's a higher rate of pregnancies being lost before three months, because before three months, it takes three months or so, the placenta only starts forming at around three months. At that, before that time, the pregnancy hasn't established itself. So, unfortunately, today, we live our world on a public stage. And it's small and I think that God tells you, you're already tweeting about it. It hasn't even gotten established in your spiritual womb yet. It hasn't taken root in your spiritual womb. And it's even worse, because once the devil finds out about it, he's going to engulf to you. Thank God, Joseph, his dream did finally happen. But my goodness, what problems he had. Let me show you somebody who did something differently. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah got a vision from God. And instead of talking about it, it says in Nehemiah 2.8, he says, I arrived in Jerusalem three days later, slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me, and I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Yeah. I hadn't told anybody. So as you read, Nehemiah went out on a fact-finding mission to assess what was going on. And after assessing for three days, then he says in verse, seven, verse 16, the city official didn't know that I had been out there and what I was doing for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. Verse 17, but now I said to them, you know very well the trouble we are in. Jerusalem is in ruins. Come, let us rebuild. Only after a, sh a time of settling the vision in his heart, only then does he talk about it. But some of us, we start talking about vision live before it, Raquel. The baby called vision hasn't yet taken root in our spiritual womb. We're already tweeting about it. Telling everybody about it. And what the good doctor told me is that the reason we tell them not to tell people they're expected is if anything happens to the pregnancy, you have to explain to everybody what happened and then you suffer another trauma of having to explain to everybody and some people will spite you through that ah God is helping somebody in the house I said God is helping somebody in the house we read about Mary the mother of Jesus 
The angel appeared to her, told her that she would conceive and give birth to a child. And when you read in Luke chapter 1, you note that Elizabeth, who was a cousin to Mary, also was pregnant. She was six months pregnant ahead of Mary being expectant. And so when Mary got expectant, and the Spirit of God told her that your cousin is also expectant, she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth, stayed at her cousin's home for three months, almost like allowing the pregnancy to take root. She went into hiding, only told people who are close to her. And when you read it, you note that the only people who knew about the pregnancy was her husband, God, the angels, and Elizabeth. She didn't tell others. She took time. But then we read as we go to chapter 2 that not only did that happen, the Bible says that she gave birth to a child, called him Jesus. And after the birth of Jesus Christ, the shepherds as directed by the Lord visited Mary and her husband Joseph to worship the Messiah. Now in Luke chapter 2 verse 19, note this. Even after this incident, Mary didn't run all over broadcasting what was happening. Instead, the Bible says in Luke 2 verse 19 in the King James, it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In her heart. She thought about it. She pondered it in her heart. She prayed about it. She went into the secret place about it. Why? She wanted this thing to take root in her heart. She didn't run around telling everybody, who do you know what God said to me? You know the vision God has given me? You know this? Because if you do that, watch this, Basalan. Satan can only know what God is doing in your life when you tell it. Satan can't read your mind. He can't see into your spirit. So when God speaks to you and you keep what God has spoken to you in your spirit and you ponder upon it and you allow it to simmer and marinate in your heart, you are giving that dream a chance to grow. You are giving that dream a chance to be able to be implanted in your spirit so that the day you start taking steps, even when Satan tries to stand against you, the dream has taken root. You can't be moved anymore. Why is it so important for us to have the secret place? Why is it so important for us to come into the presence of the Lord and, and, and pray in the presence of the Lord? Is to give that vision time to grow in our spirit. But we are living in a generation that advertises everything. Some of us, we live our lives in a public space. Every small and thing that happens in our life, we post about it. Look at your neighbor and say, why would you do this? But what God wants is for us to have that secret place where we ponder these things in our hearts. Why? We want the vision to be so rooted that the day we talk about it, the day we go out and fulfill vision, when Satan tries to elbow us, when Satan tries to hinder us, it's too late.
The vision has taken root in my spiritual womb. When challenges come, it's too late. I've been praying about this for a year or two already. I've been thinking about this for a year or two already. I've already made a strategic plan for this already. I am too deep and too far into it to turn back. It's too late. But so many times people talk prematurely. And they're only at phase one. It's just a dream. You know what my prayer is for you? To learn that if you want to pray about it, you even hide it from the enemy when you pray and pray in the spirit about it. And say, Lord, for that which you showed me concerning Grace Bible Church, in the next five years, I want to pray. And the enemy can hear what you're saying. But he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. For he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And you take your dream and you marinate it in prayer. You soak it in prayer. You soak it in the presence of the Lord. And when the time comes when you start, you've been in it too long. You've been in it too long. You know what I found out? Many people who have stood in terms of career, church, who have succeeded, is most people who started a long time ago. You discover somebody is a good singer. How about our No, no. Like 10 years ago. We just didn't know about them. What happened? They were underground. They were hidden. He's hiding you so that the devil doesn't ungop to you. And look for a stage before you are ready, before you are strong. Allow God to hide you. So that the day the enemy discovers about you, you are already a strong rooted person. Can I hear an amen in the house? And that's my prayer for you. That God will do that for you. Shall we all stand on our feet please. As we worship the Lord. Raise your hands and just worship the Lord for a while. Hallelujah Jesus.